Hello, I'm Jonathan Mann. And I'm one of the many Mats. And this is Digitally Rare, a show about digitally owned things now and in the future! <laughs> So, this week, we're super excited. I feel like I say that every week, but I am genuinely excited every week uh, Mm -hmm. to have our guests on. And the guest this week is uh, co-founder of Catalog. Is it Catalog or Catalog Works? It's a great question. It's just Catalog Works just Mm -hmm. happened to be... The domain that the domain. works the best Solid for us at domain. the time. <laughs> yeah. So it works. The, the co-founder, <laughs> it works. Hey, uh, the co-founder of Catalog, the music-only NFT platform, Jeremy Stern. Welcome to Digitally Rare. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. Um, so as as Matt was sort of saying off air a little bit, like. I'm super excited to hear what, you know, your whole story and the story behind Catalog. Like, I'm, I'm just very curious, like, how it mm-hmm, came about, mm-hmm. where you're coming from. You know, to start, like, one of the most fascinating things to me about how you've approached music as NFTs with Catalog, um, that, that uh, the songs as NFTs that you have on Catalog, they don't have... They have like album covers, but they don't have like images associated with them that you sort of have to put on every other um, NFT platform. So if mm. you up- if you upload a song to, uh, to to Rarible, it has to have an image to go along with mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. if you upload a song to Foundation, it has to have an image to go with it. Mm. And Catalog you are so focused on just the music. Um, I'd love to hear like how you arrived at that decision and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then maybe, and then maybe working backwards, like hearing about what first got you interested in NFTs uh, from a music perspective in the first place. Mm -hmm. Sure thing. Yeah. So when Mike and I, my co-founder, Mike McCain sort of set out on this journey we were looking around and recognized that all these existing NFT marketplaces were all encompassing for all sorts of media. And Mm -hmm. for musicians who were entering the space, wanting to make use of the medium, there really wasn't any options or or, or sort of a home for music specifically. If you were a producer or another kind of artist that your best bet was basically to pair up with, you know, a cinema 40 artist or or to maybe make your own visuals. Exactly. to kind of do these like audio visual renders, which for the record, I think are super dope. Yeah. Um, like they look really cool and, and I'm all for the mixed media, but at the end of the day, that's, it's a big barrier to entry for a lot of artists who do want to enter the space. And I think music really just does demand its own home. And, and so that was mm. how we landed on, on sort of this audio first experience where we very much consider music to be the art. And, and it, over the years, you know, largely because of, sort of streaming services kind of taking over and becoming the de facto model, the way that Mm -hmm. we sort of perceive music and and consume for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word is largely been devalued. So we wanted to make an experience Mm -hmm. that, that builds towards this notion that music is valuable and music is its own art and should be cherished, cherished Mm -hmm. as such. 
Totally. That's I really mean, and interesting. That, yeah. And that that's like from the very beginning, you know, the de- the devaluation of music has been has been my rallying cry in the NFT space from mm-hmm. the very very start, yeah. you know. And and how I draw this a parallel put, to the art world as well, where it's like traditionally like digital art is is devalued because of uh you know the medium and how we consume it um totally. do you notice parallels there as well for for music oh absolutely yeah like you think about a lot of sort of the i mean again to bring it back to cinema 4d and some of these like rendering softwares it was something that was largely only popular on like instagram or you know maybe if you were lucky you got a gig working for some mm-hmm. kind of hyper-focused uh artist but for, for the most part like you know, that was just like a hobby thing that when NFTs came to be and, and all of a sudden there was this huge market for this kind of style of art, people realized, oh, shit, yeah, I can actually get compensated appropriately for the, the work that I do and for the blood, sweat and tears that I pour into my passion. With music, it's it's the same thing. It's like, you know, people are getting used to paid or used to getting paid penny fractions uh, per stream right. and could go on and on about all the twisted problems with the music industry. But uh, NFTs right. really presented themselves as this this new medium for music and, and a mm-hmm. way to to value it that didn't really exist before. Yeah. Do you want to? I I'd love to hear about um, like your your background and how you how you got into this. Like like yeah. what was your what was your first exposure to NFTs? Great mm-hmm. question. So for context, uh, you know everyone on the catalog team makes music in some shape or form cool uh i've been writing for music blogs since i was in college to get free tickets to shows and i've probably spent more money on concert tickets than just about anything in my life um but very you know as with most people on this planet you know music is very near and dear to my heart and uh is has a front and center place in most of my waking hours and uh you know in college mike and i were roommates and we're kicking around various business venture ideas I come from more of a programming background. He comes from more of a design background, but we both have a little mm-hmm. bit of a intermix in both. And we were originally thinking, you know, all the sort of problems that SoundCloud had had stumbled into, whether it was purely just kind of UX problems that we thought we could do better or, um, you know, larger, more existential ones. And this was around the time when SoundCloud was kind of struggling to, yeah. to get funding and monetize. But that was a community that we were sort of, born and raised in like this golden era of beat making <laughs> that arose from artists like you know mr carmack and a lot of the selection crew and just this like scene that that spawned whole new waves and genres of music from people just like bedroom producers just kind of uploading uh in a way that wasn't you know previously possible and, and as shareable and it had this like amazing sort of social graph to it where to this day i can you know a lot of people like to say soundcloud's that but i can still find endless amounts of amazing music just by going through the likes of artists that I love there. But all, mm. all this to say, we were kicking around different sort of alternative ideas there using kind of tipping as this core mechanism. And mm. that led us to uh, our first kind of foray into the music and crypto world, which was uh, a project called Loft Radio, which you can still mm. visit today at uh, loft.radio on, on your web browser. And Loft is a, a 24-7 mellow beats kind of stream as a, a standalone mm-hmm. website almost akin to those um those youtube like lo-fi girl streams which mm-hmm. is where mm-hmm. we kind of got inspired from and we saw that with those streams you know the artists weren't get, getting paid right. anything other than quote-unquote exposure that's a huge mm-hmm. deal like these 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 artists are being exposed to 
literally tens of millions of people and they get nothing mm-hmm. for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Lo-fi is actually a really interesting case study in all of this because now like they're getting paid like those artists are getting paid more than career artists in terms of streaming numbers and, and getting playlisted uh, because yeah. it's just this very like passive listening thing that lots of people like to do myself right. included. Um, but you know, they're not really even paid in quote unquote exposure on these, on these YouTube streams because it's just background listening. You know, this, right. some of these artists have more monthly listeners than like James Blake, but <laughs> couldn't, couldn't sell a concert ticket for their Yeah, life. No one, no one knows who they are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, right. And so, right. There are so many songs that I recognize whose name or artist I don't even know. Right. Yeah. It's it's a really interesting phenomenon. So we were mm-hmm. – that largely inspired um, Loft Radio in its mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. basic form, you know, live stream that everyone hears at the same time. You can tip the currently playing artists in small increments of ETH, and 100% of the tip goes directly to the artist. Um and so we had all these ideas for how we could expand upon that with multiple radio stations where like labels could stand up their own and artists could stand up their own and you could mm. tip songs to get them on your own station as a listener and, you know, custom backgrounds. And that was all, um, you know, we had this kind of grand ideas that we're sort of now starting to reincorporate into, into catalog in some form. But um, that was kind of our first exposure to NFTs when we were kind of thinking about like, oh, what if each background was an NFT? Uh-huh. Um, and we kind of had this idea of like, oh, you could actually support visual artists with this kind of right. live listening experience too. And it has a little chat thing and everything. But um, when it came, when it came time to scale that up, it just being the two of us working on it, we ran into some like technical hurdles, which gave us the opportunity to step back and kind of reassess how we could better serve artists using this technology. And while peer-to-peer payments are awesome, uh, I think there's a lot more interesting things that you can do with this with this tech. Um, and so that kind of led us to talking to some more artists and iterating on some ideas and eventually led to a hackathon project in October, which was an early version of Catalog that uh-huh. surrounded uh, artist tokens. Um, so it was a, a bit different, uh, but basically like you could buy music a la Bandcamp and would receive artist tokens in return. and uh, you could basically either use those tokens like rewards points by buying more music or merch from the artist or stake them on the artist and receive a share of that artist revenue from Catalog. Right. Now, that's not what Catalog is anymore. And for a multitude of reasons, we we decided that wasn't the right move for us too. Yeah. Mainly because one, you know, a lot of artists don't have the kind of community that's quite ready to engage with that in my uh-huh. mind. Love social tokens and, and no doubt in my mind that those will be a huge, huge key piece of an artist's um, sort of playbook in the future. But uh, for now, it didn't really feel like the right move for us. But that was when we kind of turned towards NFTs, uh, had a lot of friends who had been and mentors kind of nudging us in that direction for a while. But hmm. um, it, it really kind of became clear in uh, November of last year. Um, so we, we iterated a bit more, kind of fleshed out the idea. We were talking to the Zora folks for a bit about what they were building. Yeah. And uh, ultimately realized that sort of those one of one canonical records um, felt like the right move uh, in, in terms of like a music platform. Was there a, like, even for someone, I'm curious, like even for someone who was so steeped in this, was there like a, a, a uh, mental leap that you needed to do to get to like, the 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 idea of this one of one canonical song idea 
I, I ask only because, you know, for the years that I've been doing this, there's been this like weird mental block that I feel like people had, especially early on where they could get it with art, but it was harder to get with music somehow. Totally. Because um, there's but... no, like, there's no, you know, there's a Mona Lisa and there's Prince of the Mona Lisa, but there's not really this, that same, uh, dichotomy in music. Totally. Yeah. It was actually like multiple weeks of like yeah. smaller and then larger breakthroughs <laughs> yeah. and yeah. a lot of conversations with, with Jacob Horn where like, it's like, wait a second, you're saying that just give everything away for free <laughs> and then people will pay a lot of money for it. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 But, and it was all like this total kind of paradigm flip that did take a while to wrap my head around, but these series of kind of mini epiphanies related to like, you know, one realizing everything's already out there for free. You know, exactly. I, can go on to, I can go onto YouTube and listen without really paying for anything. I can rip songs off there and download it. It's that's not stopping anyone at this point. And mm -hmm. in fact, like to take it a step further, the more people that exactly. hear it, the more people that experience it, exactly. the more valuable sort of that digital original becomes. Yeah. Um, and what's so weird about that is that we, we've talked with, with uh, Jason Bailey of Art Gnome about this in the past. This is not new. It, 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 we think of it as being somewhat new, but, but he pointed out that, you know, the, the only reason the Mona Lisa is the Mona Lisa is because it was in, it was stolen or something like that. And it was like in the newspaper every day for like a year. And it, 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 it it's only valuable because it's famous. Mm. Uh, and, and so in a sense, like, it's just the same sort of thing. It's like things be the, the more famous things become, the more people consume mm. them, the more, uh, valuable they become. Mm. Yeah. Especially if your value is denoted in like social, um, clout, uh, let's say like the social dynamics of, uh, owning a thing. It's like, yeah, then the, if, if your value is dominated by that you want as many people as possible to know about it and more specifically like know that you own it or are its sponsor or it's, um, you know, uh, what's that called when you patron, something. but yes, patron. Thank you. You know, um, yeah, exactly. Th that makes me think of a little tangent actually. Um, because, and I'm curious what you think about this, Jeremy, or if you guys have been thinking about this idea, um, uh, one thing that we've talked a lot about on this podcast over the years has to do with with um, the social signaling that could come that that should come along with NFTs, um, where the more context one has around the ownership of a given NFT, the the more valuable ultimately it will be. And we're seeing this play out in real time in a big way with all these avatar projects. It's like, it's the first real social signaling use case. Um, and it should have been more obvious. I don't know. It wasn't totally obvious to me up until, you know, whatever recently, but like people using punks as their avatars and then apes. And now it's just like all these projects are coming in to show themselves as, as avatars. Now, my question basically is, um, and I've thought about this with my own project, my song a day project, it's sort of interesting, like, how, what is the social signaling, like, where could the social signaling happen about, like, I own this one-of-one one canonical song? What would the, I'm trying to imagine, like, what the context for that would be that would make that a, a, a more, even more valuable to people, ultimately? That's, that's a really great question, and something that I think 
the world is still trying to chisel away at. Yeah. Like it's one thing when you have, you know, a crypto punk as your digital avatar being kind of like the flashy Rolex of the crypto space, but and it really is. <laughs> yeah, but for something that isn't really as visual and is more of, a, it's an auditory experience and, and a feeling that it induces and, a, and time, right? And, like and, it, right. It's not something you can just like look at quickly. Like you have yeah. to sit through it to to get that full experience. Um, it's it's not as straightforward as just changing your avatar, and. I'm, I'm going to bear with me here. I'm going to peel a few yeah. layers off Do this it. onion. I want to start with, uh, you know, roughly quoting uh, Clayton from Audius, who mm. I overheard in a clubhouse room talking about this one time. And he made the analogy to ring back tones and like mm. ring tones that you could pay for. Yeah. So back in the day when cell phones were, were thriving and in their golden era of experimentation <laughs> for what it felt like before we had smartphones, uh, you could either pay to have a ringback tone of like a song of your favorite choice. So when people called you, that would play that song instead of the, you know, normal buzz. Yep. Or if you know you have have a ringtone, so that if you're sitting with a group of friends and someone shoots you a text or gives you a call, you know, for me it would play like "Rise Against Prayer Against <laughs> Prayer Against the Refugee," <laughs> and like that was kind of your your way of showing that hey, I really like this song. I paid mm -hmm. a few dollars for it, and every time. I get some text for whatever the hell it is, you know, everyone's going to hear it. Totally. And uh, that was kind of this, like, he, he made the analogy to NFTs haven't quite had their ring back moment yet, mm -hmm. where you haven't, we haven't had this way, at least for, um, especially for music, but even largely for a lot of, yep. you know, art, like more visual crypto artists, there hasn't been this really powerful way to, to show that off and to have that social, uh, layer involved. And so this is something that we're still kind of thinking about because everyone loves to talk about how the metaverse is, you know, going to blow up. And it's, it's one thing if everyone can show off their, their stuff in a single platform or even on some of these more gallery-esque platforms like Showtime and Gallery and, and some of these other ones. But that's kind of like, you still have to go out of your way to look there. You know, mm -hmm. it's not really embedded in your everyday sort of web three experience. Right. And I've had some interesting conversations about this recently uh, with, with John Gold, uh, who, mm -hmm. who's an artist on catalog and also technologist and a cool dude. And like uh, we... the, the, the hippie, the, the hippie king, I don't know what to call him. <laughs> the hippie he's... king of, 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 of the Ethereum community. He is yeah. a lovely soul and, filled with amazing ideas and and good intentions and we had a great conversation recently about how like you know really we, these things can all be interconnected you know mm -hmm. if like hypothetically we even talked about this uh for catalog like you know if you ha hold say 60 friends with benefits tokens to be in that like discord group in, in dao then maybe you're on your profile you could show a little batch that says like hey i'm a part of this community mm -hmm. similarly you know on other websites you can show off NFT, even if it's like a DeFi project, you can still show other NFTs that you have there, uh, just kind of visiting. And DeFi isn't really the best example because it's not social, but um, the, what I'm trying to say is in your day-to-day, -day, uh, in these various Web3 apps, there are ways that you can sort of enhance the experience based on the kinds of things that people own or hold. Yeah. And it's still not you know, a definitive answer with music per se, but things that we've been thinking about at Catalog Linking back to how we were sort of originally thinking about building out Loft, 
is enhancing the experience on the website based on the things that you own, mm -hmm. whether that's someone looking at your profile or you kind of having the ability to customize your own experience and create these more tailored listening spaces um, that, are, that are customized based on sort of the things you own and the artists that you've supported. Totally. It's, yeah, it's I, not a definitive. So, yeah. Sorry, it's it's like a definitive kind of like answer. I think we're still we're still sculpting it and figuring trying to it paint out. that canvas. But yeah, right. We're waiting for that ring back ring back moment to happen in a more <laughs> yeah. profound way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's definitely like what is that natural environment in which these things exist best? And for like art, like walls are really good, like in the real world, <laughs> um, because we have to have walls. We live in them, and then you put art on it. It, it just works. It makes a lot of sense. And, like, and even music, like shelves, you know, like like right. a shelf of CDs. Um, right, your vinyl like, collection, whatever it is. Told you everything you need to know about, like, oh, my God, you're into this. Like, you know, you th right. that was like your signaling of. Even, um, even like Spotify hasn't really solved this problem with like traditional mm -hmm. streaming, right? It's mm -hmm. like Spotify is trying to be social, but at least for me, that never really happened. Mm -hmm. Um and it's like this really weird, like all of their social features feel like not thought out at all. But like, yeah, so I like the idea of going to where people are already interacting and then enhancing that experience with something that's like relevant in that context. Um, whether it's like, okay, you have a profile, it's like, you know, spice that up with some MySpace top eight stuff. Or if it's like some sort of social, you know, metaverse style thing, like, yeah, let me throw um, these like catalogs that I have on a on a wall or like whatever it is, like go into the context where people are naturally existing already. Exactly. I mean, and that, and that comes back to the, to your idea, Matt, about the MySpace and, you know, being the best, the best yeah. social, social network for NFTs yeah. because, and the only know, reason is because everybody had one. Yeah. That's Every, where you were. Well, that's the thing. That's where everybody was. And now everybody yeah. in NFTs is on Twitter. And the mm -hmm. only thing mm -hmm. you can change on Twitter is like, right. Is your, your avatar. avatar. And, you have and, people <laughs> forcing it into that medium absolutely right, yeah right it's, and even um, music yeah. was a huge part of myspace and that could mm -hmm, be you mm -hmm. know if you owned the songs that you put into your little music player on myspace like oh, that would could be, be a big deal yeah huge, absolutely you know now of course if you want to make myspace today like you got to build myspace and everybody knows that's a hard problem <laughs> yeah yeah, it's this is all hidden home. Like we, yeah. we draw a lot of analogies to like when you buy the catalog record, it's almost like buying this like one of one signed golden vinyl from the artist. Yes, and I mean mm -hmm. vinyl sales have been like making a huge, huge comeback in, in recent years. Um, yeah. and there's absolutely evidence that like people want to support artists in more meaningful ways. Like Sherry mm -hmm. Hugh has written a lot about this with a lot of kind of creators going direct to fan instead mm -hmm. of sort of monetizing mm -hmm. through traditional methods and with the music industry, especially mm -hmm. where there's just like these archaic models of monetization and an evaluation model for music that doesn't really incentivize what I think of as like pushing boundaries and experimenting, but rather, you know, this paper play valuation model is, is incentivizing artists to make music that gets playlisted because that's the way that right, they keep right, the roof right. over their head. Um, no, absolutely. So yeah, w w with record collections, like, you know, some people collect records, to show them off and you know, hang them on their wall, have have a nice big shelf of them. But a lot of people just buy it because they know that there's something special in, in supporting the artist. It's this mm. like an intangible feeling of, of having this physical item that like mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. can play in the highest quality format and know that you know you are one of a few amount of people that owns this thing. Mm -hmm. It's this, it's almost the same kind of scarcity yeah. that people tap into with CryptoPunks and some of these other Avatar oh, projects. Absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah, the other thing that feels really good to me about vinyl specifically is the tangibility because adding an album to my liked songs on Spotify just does not hit, you know? <laughs> like, it's not it. Um, but having this vinyl, and, like, I, I bought The Dark Side of the Moon the other day, and <laughs> hey. I was like, cool, yeah, I'm going to put this on my shelf and make sure everybody who's in my house sees it. Um, <laughs> and it's like that tangibility, I think, is a big part of why I enjoyed that. There's also something about a rich. There's a ritual with vinyl specifically, too. Um, yeah. With, uh, like, because... Because the every part of that ritual is like so nice, like taking it out and putting mm-hmm, it down mm-hmm. and putting the needle and the sound that the needle makes before it hits right, it. right. and everything. It's like all you know, even it's quite an experience. nothing. Yeah, n- n- nothing is quite like like tapes and CDs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. None, none of them really quite match the ritual aspect of vinyl. I think there's something very special mm. in that. It's like grinding mm-hmm. your own coffee. And, and, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, I recently started collecting. (laughs) I recently started collecting cassettes. Uh, I like Mm. made some donation, and an artist, uh, Blake Scaron, sent me one of his albums. And I didn't even have a cassette player, but I was like, "Wait, these are really cool." I forgot about these. Cassettes are cassettes are rad. Yeah, Yeah. I've probably got uh, like RAC, the RAC tape from uh, Zora. You already know. I I remember with that one specifically, like seeing it shoot up to like $800 on the first day thinking like what yeah. idiots would buy this and then I FOMO'd in at like 2000 right 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 oh <laughs> um, that's what happens yeah, same thing with the socks yeah we, we've been there um but yeah the vinyls so you got into tapes yeah and I recently actually got uh a, like a refurbished Walkman to, to play them in nice I literally have it right here on my desk I was just listening to music for living spaces by this mm. artist greenhouse on leaving records and it's just like okay. It's ex- exactly what you're saying. It's all such an intentional mm-hmm. experience and like this almost therapeutic motion of like having to put something in and know that you're only listening to that right. through like front cover to cover as the artist intended. Right. Mm-hmm. And and right. that's something that's largely lost in digital. Like yep. you're right. in the way that you're talking about adding a song to your likes or to your playlist. It's like mm-hmm. it's almost it's it's not meaningless but it's not far from it because right you have infinite amount of likes to give and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh you know yeah it's... my co-founder draws a line or delineates between um curation um consumption and creation where like curation the like is cheap and inexpensive and you can throw them out there and then um consumption is to buy something like that's a higher signal it's harder to do and it means more and then creation like the most value valuable thing you can spend is your time and your energy on something Mm. to like create something is is the next degree of interaction let's say um so yeah totally curation very cheap exactly yeah and and we're even thinking about this in the context of catalog a little bit like what is something that you know obviously money is one of those things but you know Mm -hmm. is there maybe almost akin to like mirrors right race where they, mm-hmm. you only have a certain number of votes to give and the votes were given to you for free and they're not really worth any monetary value per se, but because there's a limited amount, you have to think extra hard about, you know, who are you going to give them to? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're exploring ways that we can sort of implement that same kind of mentality in a more meaningful way uh, so that, you know, people can actually signal, like if you could only give five likes on, on Spotify, mm-hmm. if you would only add five songs to your collection every single week, say, It'd be a very different experience right. than if you could only do, other than if you could give unlimited. Totally. If I only had top eight friends, it'd change. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. 
To your point, though, about the business model kind of um, affecting how artists produce music, that's something that I've felt very strongly across the internet as a whole, um, especially with advertising, where you know now your goal as a creator is to get views, and how do you get views? Well, you make very shareable content, you make um, uh, outrageous content, or whatever, something like um, enraging content, right? Mm -hmm. um, Hi highly engaging, so yeah. Right. And so you optimize for engagement, which is the derivative of what you actually want to do, right? Like you've, you've constructed a game. The game is make money. The way you make money is by playing the advertising uh, model. <laughs> um, so now what you do is you play the game. And so you've kind of divorced yourself from what we actually want to do, which is maybe create some type of content regardless of these interactions. Exactly. And so like that feels like, and people have said this all the time, but it feels like the, you know, the true evil of the web is advertising because it mm -hmm. fundamentally distorts how people create and how people monetize and therefore how people live. Exactly. Like the incentive structures are just all twisted and, and are pushing people to, you know, not do, they're pushing people in the wrong directions or right. at least not the right ones. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it does feel not super great. And so I guess there's this optimism around, um, especially with NFTs as the medium, but like, you know, specifically with music, can you, take some ideas of how we used to interact with music album by album, this like um, more um, this higher intentionality interaction. And can you apply those to, you know, the new world of how we live today? Is there like a blend there that makes a lot of sense and presumably catalog is, is in that direction. I mean, we certainly think there is, and Absolutely, that's something that yeah. we're, we're building towards. Well, well, right now we, we might look a bit more like a super rare of music than, mm -hmm. you know, sort of a fully fledged music streaming platform. The bar is, is relatively low for mm -hmm. novel music listening and discovery and collection experiences on the internet. Mm -hmm. And totally. when, oh man, like you think of Spotify and Apple Music and, and a lot of these other streaming services, and it's basically just the same program mm -hmm. reskinned a dozen different ways. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there's not inherently like really any features that make one stand out from the other. Um, I will say like, you know, Spotify does some cool stuff with like their visualizers. And uh, mm. the one thing I actually like one of my favorite features on Spotify is uh, what your friends are listening to. Mm -hmm. Like that little feed, I think is so, so, so cool. And like you said earlier, there's so much they could do with social stuff. Even back in the day, they used yeah. to have more features that they literally took away. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Like messaging. Is, it's uh, but yeah, they're, they're basically the same platform reskinned. And on mm -hmm. Spotify, like you can't even blow up the album artwork to get a proper look at it. And right. I, I, with catalog, we, we recognize that there's so much room to not just build the same, the same kind of garbage over again, but to really give artists a space to contextualize their work. Like when you mm -hmm. pick up a physical vinyl or a CD, there's not just the front cover, but there's a back cover. Mm -hmm. And if you open it up a lot of times, liner there's liner notes. notes. Yeah. And like, there's, it's, it's kind of sad that like, there isn't a mm. lot of space for artists in the current systems to really mm -hmm, give that mm -hmm. context around their work in the places where people are actually listening to their music. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're working towards a future where it's not just this place for you to like go and listen passively, but if you really want to sink mm -hmm. your teeth into what the artist has to offer to the creative vision that they, that they yeah. sculpted from the ground up, providing those, those tools and those spaces for that kind of experience. Yeah, I dig that. It's kind of like the idea of going into the the record store and like using that shared tester record player to like hear an album and you know mm -hmm. going through stuff and experiencing everything. It's very intentional. Um, yes, and exactly. Maybe there's this 
like interaction with fans directly the idea where you have like the stronger connection between the artist and the the consumers like yeah totally i i, I dig this a lot can, can you talk a little bit about um i i remember seeing a post from maybe it was you or or someone having to do with catalog about um comparing the 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 sort of i think it was like sell through of you know like how many how many um artists uh have sold their their works on catalog versus other platforms and what the price level is on catalog versus other platforms do you know what i'm talking about there was like a a really interesting thing where it seemed like m more higher sales were happening on catalog it seemed like this this it seemed like an argument for more um specific based nft platforms versus the broad nft platforms that we're used to uh yes i think you're you're referencing the nifty table thread um, yes yeah nifty table is amazing it's uh table nifty at table nifty on twitter uh he makes these really really great breakdowns and kind of like data analyses of various nft platforms and the space and uh was honored that that he did one for catalog and uh, the stats have definitely changed since then so i would have to double check on that for you but at the time i think it was something like 64 percent of the records on catalog had sold which right. was out of around a hundred uh at the time mm -hmm. um and that the ratio of collectors who have made a purchase to artists who had minted was about uh like one to two or like a little under 50 percent mm -hmm. um so it's like I, I it's partly due to the fact that you know there's not a huge sample size we're still a relatively new platform like i think around just about to be four months old if i'm mm -hmm. not mistaken Mm -hmm. uh, and still closed beta, so like not a ton of artists on the platform yet either. But um, it it was really heartwarming to kind of look back at those stats and think, oh wow, like this does seem to be a place where people are interested in investing sort of their their time and money, and both on the artist and collector standpoint. And it's like nothing makes me feel better than knowing that like I'm actually helping put money directly in the pockets of artists. So. Uh, yeah, in terms of like how we compare to other platforms, it's uh, different in various ways. But one of the most interesting stats that, that he actually pointed out, which I didn't even realize, was that um, there wasn't a, really a correlation between the Twitter audience size of artists and their primary sale right. performance. Right, I remember seeing that, yeah. Which I think is, is, if I had to guess at least, is probably different than most mm -hmm. other NFT marketplaces or, or types of media. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what that thread sort of, said to me under, under the between the fine print so to speak was that like music nfts are really kind of their own category yeah and the way that we value even visual nfts while it still being a very you know young new form of art uh is still kind of its own its own class and i think there's still we're, we're really only scratching the surface of one what's possible with these new tools but but two how people really perceive them and value them because i think tying back to what we said earlier like music just has been so devalued over time that there really is a new opportunity here to to provide a new vehicle for artists and fans to sort of have these more meaningful experiences together and, and exchanging value kind of directly between themselves and their communities i'm curious how you um approach this this very difficult and important question of collectors um uh, it, it, like what kind of thought have you guys put into 
bringing in the new people uh, because there's no shortage of of people who want to make stuff. Um, but this has been a, a an evergreen problem in the space is like the 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 number of people who are doing actual collecting has just never kept pace. So I'm curious, like, uh, I'm curious if you know any stats, first of all, about like uh, about first time NFT collector people on catalog and then like what kind of thoughts y'all have put into how to how to get more people into the into into collecting. Yeah, this I think is not a side of the NFT space that's talked about enough, Um, especially because, like you said, as this infinite influx of creatives enter the space, hoping (laughs) that to take advantage of this new technology and and make a few bucks, uh, you know, the collector base hasn't scaled with that nearly as much. And in fact, a lot of the collectors have already spent a lot of their (laughs) their money. So it it is arguably even less to go around. Um, Mm -hmm. But we we've largely been focusing on the artist side of things up until the last month or so at catalog and have recently started to shift gears a bit more uh towards that collector mindset mm-hmm. um most of the of the collectors on catalog are existing sort of crypto mm-hmm. people they're, they're already immersed in the space in some form people who know how to use a crypto an ethereum wallet and have likely done you know a handful of other things on ethereum or interacting with other dApps or otherwise um some of our like some of our collectors are, are, are super rare collectors some mm-hmm. of them are uh like studio nouveau has been a yep. huge advocate for for music nfts and yep. also a a like very proud to have them as a collector mm-hmm. on on catalog but um yeah all this to say it, it's not really the artist fan base participating quite yet there's yep. some overlap that we've seen where it's someone in the crypto space who sees, oh, I actually really like that artist and mm. like I need to own this. Um, but, it, you know, we haven't cr- quite engaged those everyday fans. The who... normies. <laughs> the normies. <laughs> they're, they're still kind of sitting on the sidelines yeah. looking at this under under a microscope thinking, what the hell is going on here? Why are people paying loads <laughs> of money for these things? But at the same time, if you were to sell, you know, a one of one signed golden vinyl for Hotline Bling by Drake, like that would go for millions. Yeah, then um, it, it, it wouldn't be any question. No one would. No one would. No one would exactly. question why you would want to do that. Exactly, and a part of that I think is still just due to where we're at with technology. It's it's still a bit of this. We're still in a bit of this like dial-up phase of of things where it's not quite smooth. It's not the smooth experience, and there's some techn like both technical and uh, mental hurdles in order to get from you know no knowledge or experience whatsoever with this to I understand the importance of NFTs and I have Ethereum in an Ethereum wallet and know how to place a bid on one. And I mean, you Um, can go the, the frust. I don't know if it's frustrating, but you know, and Matt can, can attest to this. Like you can go back to our very first episodes three, four years ago and we're having the exact same conversation. And, and honestly, (laughs) I, 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 of all the things that have improved and there are, there are things and there are many things that have, I don't think user experience has improved kind of really at all. Like, like, like going from zero to being able to do it, uh, has not gotten any better somehow. And, and I don't, I, (laughs) I don't know how that's possible, but it, I think that's, that's the truth. And, you know, 
layer two and Ethereum moving to proof of stake, like maybe all of this will will change rapidly when that happens, but till now it just hasn't. Sadly. Yeah, yeah. totally. It does feel like linear linear progress on the user experience front yes. rather than like a switch. I, I I draw a lot of parallels with crypto to like the early days of the internet. Totally. And nowadays, like whenever I am talking to crypto talking about crypto with, with people who aren't as familiar, um I'd like to sort of you know ask like well do you really know how the internet works today <laughs> under the hood like do you know how packets are going from right your computer machine to some server and back to you oh and i like that it's like we rely like the world relies on this technology heavily every single day but most people can't really tell you how it works under the hood and oh, yeah with crypto there is this you know a very well placed i think like desire to understand these things and, mm -hmm. and i think people should understand them. But I think in the future, you know, it's going to be just kind of people accept that this is how things are and it's mm -hmm. good because, you know, X, Y, Z, like the way that the internet reinvented how we exchange information, kind of crypto reinvents how we exchange value. And I think once that kind of high level realization clicks for a lot of people, they'll just know that, oh, you know, I just open MetaMask and I save my private keys on a piece of paper and Da, da 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 whereas like you know back in the early days people trying to use email or some of these other applications was like this hard learning curve of oh i have to remember passwords now and there are these other patterns of of mm -hmm. interaction that i didn't have to use before but now are suddenly new and foreign i think it's still just kind of like growing pains and once people start to have uh more reason to use these things kind of like um you know what all these people recently started buying all these dog coins like we saw god knows how many kids <laughs> mm -hmm. downloading metamask and <laughs> just so that they could buy some shiba and like to me that says you know the incentive is there like if people really want to do something if they have a good reason to to figure it out whether it's financial or, or otherwise they'll they'll figure it out and uh, this is something that we can maybe touch on if, if you guys want to but uh, I, I think the there's like two kind of intrinsic and extra there's like two forms of value that i think come from owning mm. a piece of art there's like the intrinsic value of owning the thing that everyone else has so to speak like the the canonical version of that work yeah the feeling that the you get right like you know mm -hmm. even just the like ability to show it off could be a bit of both but the extrinsic value that comes in with that is something that we've been thinking about a lot too where mm -hmm. you know a lot of artists like to build in additional value to their NFTs and, and for their collectors by offering additional perks. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, a hackathon project that Mike and I worked on at Eat Denver a while ago was this kind of like Patreon style. It's like a, basically Patreon, but with like a tokenized bonding curve. Right. So you could like pay for an artist token that gives you access. And then when you're done with it, if you don't want the subscription anymore, you can sell it back into the curve. Oh, that's fun. Um, oh, that's super fun. Yeah, and it's like there's a lot of talk around social tokens providing the same kind of utility, mm -hmm. but uh, the same thing can be true of NFTs. Like if like mm -hmm. I recently bought a, a Tyco NFT that gets me like backstage access mm -hmm. to one of his shows, and so like I'm stoked because you know I, I wanted the NFT anyway, but that was like additional incentive totally. for me to to fork over a few extra bucks for it. And yeah, I guess all, all this to say, I think some of that utility is what's going to bring in a lot of those normies, like people who wouldn't mm -hmm. maybe normally. Just buy the thing for the intrinsic value of having it, which mm -hmm. I still think is Valuable. very powerful. Yeah, it is 
a lot of those people will be onboarded through some of these additional value adds. You know, Kai uh, Ghani, uh, longtime crypto wizard man, um, uh, did a, a really interesting thread going through and and cataloging, um, no pun intended, all the different avatar projects and how many people owned each project and what the like cro- what the cross pollination between projects were to find out like is it. Is it just like well, the same group of people that are buying apes and that are buying, you know, whatever, ducks now? I don't know what there are. And then uh, what he found was that, like, no, actually, the, the base is actually bigger than any one project. There's like a larger base. Um, but he did find that Gary V's project, this is sort of maybe unsurprising given Gar- Gary V's sort of like uh, 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 heightened uh, thing in the space, but... You know Gary V's project, which 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 provides uh, tickets to his conference or whatever, uh, has the has the most unique and uh, uh, owners out of all of the different ones. So because yeah, the most distinct set, the most distinct set. So the people wanted to come to the conference, presumably, and that was like you were saying, Jeremy. That was the sort of incentive that got them over the hill uh, to into the space in the first place. Um, so I think that's I think you're exactly right. I mean, and and Matt and I always put it into three categories. We always said like uh, intrinsic, like you said, marketplace. You know, there's like a there's a big thing of like people wanting to re- like, to resell it. Yeah, that like extrinsic, totally. And then utility is what we called is what we mm-hmm. called the like mm-hmm. the third thing of 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 the perk kind of. Mm, idea. Yeah, I, I like that classification. Um, yeah. yeah. Because there's like, so many people who just there's so many people in the space right now, and the biggest collectors in the space, the biggest collectors are the ones who just are in it to, uh, to to resell later and make more money. Like that's that's a huge reason people are collecting NFTs, uh, much bigger than I would have predicted or want, but like that's just how it is. Totally, yeah. There's definitely some amount of the like you know, owning the thing type mentality there as well, like the sort of social cloud that comes from it. And yeah. and maybe, um, and I think in the case of like the Snowden one, you know, that was a donation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, th- I think you're totally right. Um, there's that what, there's that saying in crypto that's like, you know, come for the utility or come for the yeah. tool, stay for the network. Right. And I, I you could almost maybe predict that the same thing will be true of NFTs where it's like you sort of come for the utility of the NFT and you say once you realize how much more there is under the surface. Yeah, and how much fun it because how much fun it is to collect things, even you know, just yeah. cause, just because that's that's a thing that that humans have always done, and now there's a fun way to do it. Right, like we've always been collecting things that are near and dear to our heart, and it's so funny. I have a friend uh, who kind of comes from more of like the gaming esports world who we recently <laughs> red pilled into this, and it's so <laughs> funny. Like he got hooked. <laughs> I was talking oh. about like moon caps, oh, moon yeah. caps and board apes, yeah. and like he just dives into these discords, and <laughs> like two days later, he's like, "Dude, I haven't slept." <laughs> There's like I'm learning about all these different traits, and and he was describing this feeling to me, which I think everyone who's collected an NFT has experienced, where like when you're kind of like forking over um, mm-hmm. some some of your hard-earned money to have this thing truly become your own, it, it's like a different kind of feeling um, than you would get from maybe just like. I guess to draw back to music, like buying a song off the iTunes store or on mm-hmm. Bandcamp, like it's, you, you have this kind of like special connection with the thing you're buying. And in the case of digital art, the creator you're buying it from, 
or in the case of collectibles, maybe the community that which you are now you have now become a part of. Um, yeah. And you know, some of this is individualistic, some of it is more of a collective mind share, but there is something really powerful in that. And I I, I would say it's very similar to like buying a cassette or buying a record, mm-hmm. like a, a vinyl record where um, it, it's a more and I'm kind of repeating myself here, but it's just a more meaningful experience than mm-hmm. what we're used to when it comes to music or other forms of, of collecting. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a magical feeling. Um, I want to ask you a, a technical question. The, the music that's uploaded to catalog, where is it stored? Is it IPFS? Is it um, Rweave? Yes. IPFS. IPFS. Okay, cool. Um, uh, and, and technically otherwise, is it just a pretty standard NFT, just a a 721? Is there anything special that you did that you've done to these NFTs or? So I'll answer that one right after I just touch on this, which is that, uh, a lot of people also ask about, you know, when it comes to IPFS, like how is the content being pinned and surfaced? Mm -hmm. And right now we're doing all the pinning ourselves, but, um, I just think in the future that, I definitely see a world where, you know, I think, first of all, definitely into our weave and exploring that kind of thing. But as far as like making sure the content is still available, Mm -hmm. uh, we're pinning everything. I think in the future, collectors and artists will continue to pin their own work to make Mm -hmm. sure it stays surfaced. Mm. And sort of the third piece of that, which ties into your more recent question is, you know, what are we actually built on? Mm -hmm. Um, And we're actually built on top of Zora. Oh, that's Uh, right. That's right. I was going to so ask about that. Yeah, it's it's a stand. It's it's like it's an ERC seven twenty one that's extended to have additional properties, and one of those properties is that the the URI for the content can be changed. So like you don't actually store the the media on the blockchain. Like we're storing it on IPFS, but the hash of that, like the pointer to where it lives on IPFS, is stored on the actual NFT on the blockchain, mm-hmm. and the owner of the NFT, the current owner of the NFT can change that content URI at any time. Hmm. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, if you were to say, if we were using IPFS and instead say like a Google Cloud bucket um, mm-hmm. or AWS to store all the, all the music files, mm-hmm. um, you know, hypothetically we go under two years from now and mm-hmm. we stop paying for that and no one can listen to the music anymore. Well, on Zora, if you're the collector of that work or if the artist is still holding it, they can just change the URI to point at somewhere else where it is hosted in a more oh, sort nice. of permanent solution. Oh, I like that. And, yeah. And the, the trick here too, is that there's also uh, a content hash stored on the NFT. And what that is, is like, it's an immutable digital fingerprint of the file right. at the time of mint. Right. So everyone, you know, at any time can be sure that, okay, you know, the content URI might be changing, but mm-hmm. if the file living at the other end of that link the hash, if it, rather the hash of that file matches the ha- content hash that cannot be changed on the NFT, then balance is restored in the universe. We know that it's the original song that was uploaded. Can I ask you something that that because I I only recently have started to really grok some of this stuff. I've been doing it for so long, and and I only recently have really started to uh, really really appreciate exactly how it works. So so like just to set this up like uh yeah the hash um you 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 get a hash of an image and if i change even one tiny little pixel of that image it will not return the same hash and that's how you fingerprint the hash to the image 
What is the like small in in images? It's the pixel. What is the smallest unit of? I guess what I'm asking is like what what could you change? Because in music, it's like sample rate and things like this. Like, what is it that you would change in the in the piece of music that would change the hash? Does is my question making any well, sense? Any of it? Totally. Yeah. It, yeah. That's the th it's the beauty of it is all the things you said would would work. You could add half a millisecond to the end of a song and that would change and that it. would change it yeah. you could yeah. tweak an eq parameter if you change the sample rate it'll change the, the sample rate the, yeah. the, even the file type that you export it as uh -huh. like uh -huh. literally cool any is, yeah the file type as well yeah it's all just bits at the end of the day right and so um you know wh whatever the rendered output of that song is dot wav dot mp3 that's going to be a different format of bits on disk and then you just hash that and so any change whatsoever will propagate through that system into what's actually written onto the disk. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, any any change you could poss possibly make um, such that the output file is not, you know, bit by bit identical to yeah. what was just hashed will be different. Will be different. Um, I love that. I just think that's, you know, and it's, it's really hard for me to wrap. It's taken me a long time to wrap my mind around. But I feel like now that I have, I like, I like... Uh, I want more people to know about it. Yeah, that's you know, actually a really cool property about it um, is, and I feel Zora's, like it's like, a, like archival thing. It's like the URI thing. Is that what you're saying, Matt? Like the yeah, yeah, point, exactly. Yeah, like that's the, super fun. Um, that's that's actually really forward thinking, and I, I didn't realize that was a feature uh, when I first initially heard that. Like, oh, the um, the owner of the thing can change the uh, data URI. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But now that combined with the content hash, that does make a bit more sense. Um, and is actually really neat because that's like a really common problem is like, oh, uh, you know, all these different systems have different lifetimes, et cetera. And like, you might have to do some, um, archeology span to, to rehost something and that's the way to do it. Totally. Yeah. It, it kind of feature proofs it in a sense. Um, and, and it's, you know, there's a lot of incentive for the collector of an NFT to have that, mm -hmm. uh, content hash matchup because, you know, one, they want every sort of person who's checking to make sure the hashes are the same to feel, you know, to be like, okay, this math checks out. But also that anyone who wants to sort of view the contents of their NFT can easily do so. Um, then, so to quickly uh, speak to some of the other things that that we yeah. love about Zora, yeah, uh, they they are sort of enabling truly platformless media in the sense that. Like the catalog, uh, catalog records are just a flavor of Zora NFTs where we have our own custom metadata schema mm -hmm. uh, that is specifically tailored to music. So we have things like fields for like the cover artwork mm -hmm. and you know the artist's title rather than just the wallet address or the artist name, excuse me, like song title, duration, even go as far as like album information. And, and if you really want like a visualizer, mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. can be its own NFT or like the cover mm -hmm. art can be its own NFT. So it's mm -hmm. this kind of like more flexible model. Um, but with all that, uh, we also add our cryptographic signature to every single NFT as a way of authenticating that, hey, this came from us. You can prove that you know this signature came from our public catalog wallet address. And it's our way of saying this is legitimately from the artist who we say it's from. It's the Nintendo so, seal of approval of catalog. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not some knockoff GameCube controller. Right, it's the real right, deal. That's, right. That's not going to go bunk on you in a heated game of Super Smash Bros. Right. Um, <laughs> so that that's also like sort of, it's not super obvious, and I don't think most people care right now, but as we continue to grow and, and more music NFT platforms open up, um, 
you do want to have some amount of assurance that this is coming from the artist oh, who, yeah. who it says it's from. Um, another quick piece on just uh, speaking sure, more sure. to Zora's ethos is yeah. like, it's, it's a truly open market for the NFT. So while most platforms, uh, you know, the NFT itself is on the blockchain, the content is really available to everyone. The market for that NFT is almost always restricted to the platform itself. Or yeah. if it's not, the platform is taking some kind of platform fee under the hood. And with Zora, there's, there's no fees whatsoever. It's truly this like public utility for media that allows it to, to be freed from the shackles of any given platform. And so when you go on Zora, you'll also see catalog records and, mm. that are there. And if you were to bid on Zora, that bid would show up on catalog and vice versa. Um, That's rad, yeah. So it's it's kind of going against this mentality of like walled gardens where you have to pay for a Spotify subscription. It's it's this inversion of the internet that Zora likes to talk about where actually let's just make the content free by default and then um, you know try to get it in the eyes and ears and hands of as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. And that will actually add more value to it in the long run. Yeah, I love that. I, I love, and so your relationship to Zora is just that when you guys were building catalog, you you met up with them and and decided that that their approach was what you you were on board. So yeah, they actually reached out to us. We like won one of their hackathon bounties oh, oh, okay. um, in this in the Seed Club hackathon. Shout out Seed Club, and yeah, they approached us right afterwards, and they're like, hey. We should we should talk. I think there's something we're working on something that you guys might be interested in. Um, so a few of those conversations back and forth, and then they basically kind of gave us a sneak peek of of the NFT protocol that they built. Yeah, and we sort of were able to kind of plan around that. And uh, they've just been really great because you know they're they I, I think they get seen a, a lot in in this public sphere as this marketplace. When mm -hmm. I think their main core value prop is that they're a protocol. They are they're a tool mm -hmm. um, that is sort of free to all and 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 the beauty of that is that they're they're trying to be more of this i think like developer layer like lower in the stack right and rather than marketplace itself like you can see that in the doge nft auction mm -hmm. um it was just kind of this it's a standalone website anyone could build their own it like fork the interface and, and sort of build their own on top of it mm -hmm. and that's what we want to do with catalog too is like these records and the market for them should be open and free to all for anyone to to build their own interface around or experience around mm -hmm. if they don't necessarily agree with ours and uh with that like you know then even if catalog were to go under in say two years like these records would still exist and the artist could still capture the value around them for years to come yeah i, I have a question i don't know anything about what they're doing but i heard title plus nft is an idea what are what are your thoughts on that because my initial thought is like oh they're going to do something really boring or like straightforward. Um, but I'm interested in your thoughts on, on like what the concept of title and NFTs and like, you know, the reach of that could be. Yeah. I don't know enough about what they're doing. I saw some little blurb yeah, about Jack nobody's telling anyone, on Twitter space. Yeah. yeah. But I honestly, it excites me. Like on some level, could it be competition in, in some way? Sure. But Overall, like we're all fighting sort of the same beast here. And I think yeah, Jack totally. and Jay-Z have the best of intentions when it comes to this technology and using it in the right way. So whatever mm -hmm. they do end up doing or may end up doing with regards to NFTs, I still think is a win mm -hmm. overall, mm -hmm. both for the space and for artists. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I know, you know, Jay-Z just bought a CryptoPunk. So, uh, so that right. happened. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. 
Um, okay, so so we'll wrap up here in a second, but I just I want to share something with you, Jeremy, that I discovered recently uh, that I'm like super excited about, and and as a fellow music NFT person, I want to get your your read on on this situation. Um, so like uh, you're. So the, the, the idea that I was coming up against is that is that basically there's no way to put a song on chain, right? Like uh, you can do uh, generative art on chain and you can do generative music on chain, a la um, autoglyphs or art blocks. But actually putting like a song itself, like a, a song that's, that, that, that you've written with, with, with lyrics and chords and a melody – you can't put that on chain um, because it's just uh, impractical and too large and expensive. But I figured out a way to do it, and I want to tell you what it is. Ooh. I want to see if it will, if you're what how this strikes you. Talk to me. Um, so there's a there's a type of notation that 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 I I say discovered. I mean it's it's been around. Everyone knows about it. It's not like it's like super well hidden or anything but it's a type of notation called abc notation and it's plain text notation um used in the 70s and 80s and 90s by uh at first like mostly irish folk musicians where they didn't know how to do traditional notation and they kind of invented their own just like writing out letters notation so there's no notes there's just it's just all plain text letters but it was um, codified into an actual, uh, I like to say it's both machine-readable and human-readable notation. Um, and so you can take this ABC notation and turn it back into real notation. You can turn it into a music XML file. You could turn it into MIDI um, mm. very easily. But you can also a human can also read it, and it's plain text. So I'm working on what I'm calling the first ever on-chain song, and it's gonna be a little costly. It's gonna cost me about four hundred dollars in gas, but it's the full song. The full song is actually gonna be on-chain in notation, a la something like autoglyphs. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, that's really dope. Isn't that cool? And so, and so, I'm imagining like what I'm really hoping hoping will happen is like there'll be because there there's been a lot of things developed for ABC notation over the years, but development sort of stopped in like the early 2010s. It seems like um, there was a whole community of people making like ABC to MIDI things and ABC to this and ABC to that. I'm like imagining that there there could be an easy way for like a musician to turn their song into ABC notation in order to embed that directly in their NFT. And then suddenly we have another sort of layer of, uh, of, of music immutability uh, that couldn't exist before. I'm almost imagining it like, you know, it could just be just in the way that you would buy, like I used to buy like books of Bob Dylan songs when I was a kid, you know, and it's just the chords, the melody and the lyrics. And that would not be too expensive. Like for most songs to get it actually on chain. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I love the idea of like MIDI esque uh, notation. That's, that's just always there. Um, I do like, I don't, I'm not super hip with how art blocks and some of those other generative projects 
actually store that information mm -hmm. or, or render it on the front end. But for me personally, I, I guess I just think like, as long as there is sort of like a trustless way to sort of view this information in that like you can trust that the information or, or data or, or music or art, whatever you're viewing or experiencing is correct. Like that's, that's what's most important to me. That's it. Um, yeah. That's the, that's the crux but, of it for you. But I love the idea of like, you know, thinking about these things as like composable building blocks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you have this ABC notation for a single song, maybe there's some other contract that is like a synthesizer contract and a drum machine contract. Right. And you can kind of like plug and play them into some, I, I don't know. I feel like you can get a lot of cool results out of that. And that's particularly exciting to me. You know, and bottom line too, what you can do with this, you can do that kind of thing, or you could simply put it into a regular notation reader and you can get the lyrics and the chords and the melody all written out for you. So you can play it yourself. You own the song mm. and, and it's super easy to then put it into a thing and, and now you have all, all the information that you need to actually play the song yourself. Hell yeah. I'm picturing like a almost Guitar Hero-esque uh, yeah. type, type experience. That'd be really cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really I'm – like, I'm super excited about it. I mean I'm totally with you. Like the, the immutability of the hash and like all that kind of stuff is the – ultimately is like – is enough and it's super rad and it's a thing. I've also just been like super fascinated ever since Autoglyphs came out, like super fascinated by what the limitations of like what we can actually fit on chain and what that can yeah. mean. And it's pretty cool to have a zero dependency piece of media. That's that's it, right? right? Yeah. Zero dependency. It's like writing a it's like writing a web page with no dependencies. It's it's harder, but it's it's nice. The th yeah. and, and it's like there's a kind of like the thing is the thing thing. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, it just stands alone. Um, okay, last question is: Have there been any projects recently that you've come across uh, that have really caught your eye? Like anything, anything that that where you stop in your tracks is like, oh shit, that's cool. I like that. Uh, just in general, or specific yeah. with regards to like music and in NFTs. general. Um, I mean, just specific to the music thing, uh, yeah. Beretta launched a really cool project alongside, I think it's called Stoi, uh, S-T-O-I, I believe that could be. Oh, missed. yes. We're talking to them on Thursday. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll be sure to listen. But that project, I thought. Was I really know. Cool. I Both know. One from the stance of like turning actual, uh, like turning owner, like ownership of the, the song into uh, like an actual share of the web two royalties, yep. something that like we've kind of been exploring, but not the, the and, beast that we're trying and, to tackle right now. And do you know how they're doing that? This is, this is the, th this is the moment where I was like, Oh shit, you got to come on the pod. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. I think that they'll explain it much better than I can. Yeah. But what I find really cool is that it is a DAO. Yeah. So you, it, you have to sort of like really, you have to ask this like AI bot questions about the song and, and the sort of digital art piece that they, that they made alongside it. Um, and then it kind of gives you hints and it's a really, really fun experience. I would recommend everyone checks it out, but, uh, well, that's it. Uh, thank you, uh, Jeremy so much for, for joining us. That was truly delightful. Um, folks, you can follow Jeremy on Twitter at JZ Stern is Z is your middle name a Z name. It is. Ooh, what is it? Zalman. Ooh, I love that. Zalman. 
<laughs> very, it's a very Jewish name, Jeremy's. Yeah, you spot there. on. That's my grandfather's name. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at Songaday Man, and you can follow Matt because he's really one of the many Matts, and that is his Twitter name now. One, the number one of the many Matts. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, um, and we'll see you next time, Matt. Do you have anything uh, to say to the people? As always. <sighs> <laughs> Get nifty. <laughs> Get nifty. Oh, yeah. <laughs>